welcome to the Neophotonics Podcast. I'm John Houghton, and this is a program where we talk about insights and best practices for optical communications, lasers, and their applications. Today, we're talking about IP over DWDM using 400ZR and ZR Plus modules. As our guests, we have Ron Johnson, Senior Director of Product Management and Architecture at Cisco, and Winston Wei, Chief Technology Officer at Neophotonics. How are you guys doing? Great, thank you. Doing great. Thanks, John. So, Winston, why don't you lead out with the first question? Sure. Uh, Ron, um, thank you for joining our podcast. Uh, first off, could you please explain what IP over DWDM is and uh, how different it is from traditional optical network architecture? Also, uh, what are its advantages? Sure. Quite a complex question, but I'll uh, take a stab at it and maybe we can go back and forth a little bit. You know, IP over DWDM is is not anything new. It's something that's been around for many, many years. And even in some circles, it, it holds a negative connotation. And and the reason I say that is that it it, it oftentimes only meant the, uh, the, the capability to put a DWDM optic onto a router. And in the past, that oftentimes had a, uh, um, it, it was, it was something that was kind of forced and, and it was done so with the intent of avoiding gray optics going from the router to a transponder. But the challenge was that it, it, um, it didn't have the density that gray optics had. And so oftentimes when you put DWDM directly onto a router, especially as routers have got have gotten more dense over the years, it, it oftentimes meant that you had to to give up some capacity on a slot. And, and in recent years, that's been as much as giving up two-thirds of the capacity on a slot. And more recently, um, the reason why the integration of DWDM on a router has, has become more interesting is because of innovation that's happening on the router side and innovation that's happening in the coherent optics that allow them to intersect at a point where we don't have that density trade-off. And so it provides an opportunity because um, more and more power is being dedicated to the faceplate of the router because the optics are more um, onerous to, to get the capacity off the router. Density has gone up tremendously, but, but it's taken more power as a percentage to get off. And at the same time, the shrinking of digital signal processors and integration of optics, either through uh, silicon photonics or indiophosphide, has, has made it possible so that the form factor that, that, that um, exists for 500 meters, 2 kilometers, 10 kilometer type applications can also intersect with the form factors that, that can accommodate DWDM. And, and that's why, in, in my view, we're, we're entering into an era where DWDM integration into routers is much more meaningful than it has been in the past. So it's mainly due to this new form factor like uh, DDQSFP to make the pore density really high. So it, it's much better than the previous CFP2 form factor. Is that so? Yeah, and it's not even just a CFP2 versus um, you know QSFP or OSFP. It's, it's really about um, having line cards that were built for the densest uh, gray applications, you know, again, 500 meter, two kilometer, 10 kilometer type applications, have those be exactly the same form factor. So on a, on a port by port basis, you can choose any of those different PMDs and, and have reaches that go anywhere from, you know, meters to, to uh, thousands of kilometers. 
So the DWDM and the gray optics will have the same form factors, basically. Yes, I, I think that's a big value in in what we're seeing in the near future with with the uh, with with IP over DWDM, the, the integration of the two and the intersection of the two. Okay, so this is uh, happening when 400ZR or ZR plus pluggable modules uh, will be available next year on the market. Uh, that's when everything will start uh, for for this IP over DWDM momentum. I think so. I mean, the, the routers um, typically have a longer integration cycle with with uh, service providers and content providers, so those are coming up first, and and they're starting to uh, integrate those into their into their um, operations and um, you know kicking the tires and making sure that all of the software aspects that they're looking for meet their applications. And um, you know that, that's happening today with with QSFP DD form factor, and uh, next year the, um, the the ZR and ZR plus optics will start to 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 become generally available. But they'll you know we'll have samples this year that'll go into uh, into our customer labs, and and they'll be able to start to see what the performance looks like on those optics, and and uh, integrate the the management interfaces to, uh, to to make sure they have the right controls of those optics as well. Okay, and do you think this will happen first in in the uh, cloud uh, environment, or it will happen uh, first in telecom networks? Uh, I would say that from my perspective, I see both of them um, ready to consume it, and uh, um, I, I would say there's oftentimes more clarity in an application in the cloud environment, so you can. Um, for instance, as, as routers mature, they, they have uh, more and more capabilities in terms of software. I would say that they, the initial software capabilities of, of these, of these uh, bleeding edge routers uh, are meeting a lot of the content provider applications uh, first or quickly. And then um, we'll see a more broad set of applications, uh, which is typically what, what the service providers focus on uh, in, you know, in, in the coming months and years. Ron, how does IP over DWDM change the way things were done in terms of the OSI model? I've got the model in front of me. I'm looking at layer zero. I'm looking at layer three. How are things different? Yeah. In the, in the past and, you know, in, in most networks today, there's a, there's a, there's a pretty big delineation between transport products that, that, uh, contain, uh, wavelength conditioning things, you know, things that do amplification, uh, multiplexing, uh, wavelength switching, and and the the transponder that takes typically, in this case, an Ethernet client interface, and then either multiplexes it or or maps it into a wavelength directly, and that that in combination is is what sits at layer zero, layer one, and then at, at layer three. We have the the routing function, which today typically has uh, non-coherent, non-DWDM optics that that feed out of the faceplate of the router and into those transponders. So what what we're talking about with uh, with IP over DWDM is is the ability to take that transponding function, or specifically the DWDM interface, and and physically put it on the router, 
and avoid the the uh, the gray interconnect between a router and a and a transponder. And Ron, you you mentioned uh, the bleeding edge uh, router. Can you explain a little bit uh, how it works with the uh, um, emerging 400ZR and ZR plus pluggable modules? Yeah, if if we think about the core of the network or the larger scale applications of the network, these these there's a lot of innovation and investment that's gone into the router. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't long ago that there were seven custom ASICs in the data path of a router or in the data path of getting from ingress of a port to the egress of another port. Uh, now that's all done with a single chip. And that single chip is much, much higher scale, like, like over 10 terabits um, compared to, to um, what, what had been done in the past. And so what, what this affords is the opportunity to leverage the absolute bleeding edge uh, optics technology you know, at both gray and DWDM to pack as much on the faceplate as possible so that we could build line cards that exceed 10 terabits of capacity. Mm -hmm. So the, the port number is, uh, the, the port number per blade, how, how many ports would there be? So in some platforms, there'll be as many as 36 ports, wow. uh, 400 gig on, mm. on a single line card. So 14.4 terabits. Mm. That's amazing. And then uh, for telecom networks, do you think that the IP over DWDM will be mainly used for access network or metro networks or even regional networks? It's a really interesting question. We've done a lot of, uh, a lot of thinking about this because in, in many cases in, in the um, service provider, there's there's many, many A to, Z low, A to Z pairs that require some kind of bandwidth within the network. And, and a lot of times the way to optimize the network for the service provider is to nail up a wavelength for every A to Z and then let that um, grow in terms of capacity on that wavelength over a long period of time. That's happening today at 100 gig. Um, and as we transition from 100 gig to 200 gig to 400 gig, it, it can become very inefficient, meaning that if, if a motiv the motivation to, to nail up a wavelength was uh, a 10 gig service, and you know when you're nailing up 100 gig for that 10 gig service, and you've got 90 gig of, uh, of capacity waiting to be leveraged or waiting to be used. At 400 gig, it's you know, 390 gig of capacity waiting to be used. And so we, we believe that there's an opportunity to, to leverage the scale of these, these uh, new generation of routers and this 400 gig technology that, that was mainly motivated by the, the content providers um, in a different way. And, and we, we call that a, uh, an IP OEOF or IP over ethernet over fiber based network. And what, what it does is it, it, oftentimes will place more routers in the path of a signal in order to leverage the grooming capability and the aggregation capability of packet into those wavelengths. And, and what we've developed is some tooling to compare um, kind of a hollow core way of building the network, which is what I originally described, putting up a 
nailing up a wavelength for every A to Z traffic, or this hop by hop as a as a as an extreme of that, uh, saying that every router hop you you terminate the 400 geek wavelength and have the ability to add and drop capacity out of it. And so we we built tooling to be able to look at um, both extremes and and somewhere in the middle. Like how do we optimize for situations where you may need in by 400 gig between two A and Z locations and have the ability to leverage 400 gig in these in these sites where 400 gig may be something that we won't need for uh, many, many years. And this tool you just talked about, uh, that can be applied to different uh, distances of uh, networks, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 um, it has been used to look at access networks, metro networks, and, uh, and long-haul networks. Mm. But this limitation will be uh, basically limited by 400ZR plus, how long 400ZR plus can go, right? Yeah, I mean, we're, uh, you know, we, we're seeing that 400 gig ZR plus in, in real networks can achieve well over a thousand kilometers. And, and it, it hasn't, you know, a lot of people think of long haul as being thousands of kilometers. And, and ZR plus can achieve that. Like if you, if you um, change the bit rate from 400 gig to 300 to 200, you can achieve thousands of kilometers. But what we found is that because of the capacity of the wavelength and the, and the desire to get as much capacity on fiber as possible, that it makes sense to stop at intermediate routers, maybe not all of them, but some of them in order to um, optimize the utilization of fiber and, and pack and drive 400 gig in the network. Hmm. So, but then uh, if we use IP over DWDM, uh, all the packets will be pretty much routed by uh, uh, electronic means. Uh, so, so what do you think the impact will be on the optical rotom? You know, it really depends on, on the, uh, the traffic matrix. I would say that there's, there's certainly traffic patterns within networks and and capacity forecasts that suggest that um, that you don't need a rotom. But there's other applications where um, where having a rotom is beneficial. You know, getting getting the ability to uh, put an expressway into the network. You know, ha- having that end-to-end wavelength stay as a wavelength has value. And so we we anticipate that there's going to be a a combination of of networks that are that are going to continue to be built. Some some that are uh, completely optimized around point to point, and they they literally uh, terminate all of the traffic from the fiber at every point, every router in the network, and and others that do router bypass. But it but it, it's really dependent on the. The uh, the topology of a network and the traffic pattern that's that's put on top of it. So uh, that maybe is for long haul networks uh, because then the complexity of uh, combining optical rotom and uh, OEO routing uh, it's uh, sounds like a little bit complicated. But I, I think for maybe access or metro, this uh, you don't need to combine uh, optical rotom with uh, the OEO routing, right? Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say it's that black and white, Winston. It's it's uh, there's there's 
places where we've seen both in long haul and there's places where we've seen both in, in Metro. And a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with uh, the total capacity of the network. You know, some, some networks are, you know, hundreds of wavelengths per site and some are, you know, a handful of wavelengths per site. There's, there's quite, quite a bit of extreme in terms of, of the capacity load on a network. I see. So, but then the complexity of the network would not be increased or the operation complexity will not be increased when you have both optical and uh, electronic uh, routing? It will, but it's not worse than it is today, right? To today, um, you know, I would say that, that for most service providers, they have services that terminate on the, on the routing layer and they have multiple stages of aggregation routers throughout the network. So they don't, they don't literally take everything back to one router because um, if you put build a hub with only one router, you run out of ports very quickly. You could run into scale uh, in terms of software very quickly. Um, so, so that exists today. But today, routing hasn't been the cheapest way to deliver, for instance, private line services. And uh, for that reason, a, a lot of transport teams build a, an electronic switch leveraging OTN technology to do uh, OTN switching. And, and where this came into play was, was when um, what, what used to be called wavelength services, when, when wavelengths were 10 gigabits, um, when, when those networks moved to 100 gigabits or 200 gigabits. At that point, uh, wavelength services moved to OTN switches or, or MUX bonders that were built with OTN technology to be able to transparently carry uh, a 10 gig service over, over a network. And so, and then, and then there's a third class, right? Some services are also terminated directly onto the, onto the, the rotor layer. So like, for instance, if you have a, a service provider who's providing services to a content provider or to a, a large enterprise that, that is interested in buying uh, in you know in the recent past, 100 gigabit services that equal the 100 gigabit wavelength speed, or 400 gigabit services that equals the 400 gig- gigabit wavelength speed, that you know is is just a mapping via a transponder onto an optical network, typically. And so, today, I would argue that that there are three distinct layers that have completely independent lifecycle managements, uh, control planes that operate each of them. Uh, you know, they have to be troubleshoot shot independently. They have to be managed independently. Capacity management is complex. Um, the, the more we can collapse onto fewer layers, the more I believe the operational model will become simpler. Uh, so, uh, Ron, we know that there are uh, quite a few uh, carriers uh, talk about this uh, IP over DWDM. Uh, using 400ZR and ZR plus uh, in in the public domain, and so do you think that this uh, IP over DWDM uh, will come into telecom networks uh, gradually, or it will come with a very fast pace? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, um, Winston. Uh, just just like many questions, there's not there's no one answer. Um, we we're working with many many customers. Uh, so, some of which are highly skeptical of, um, of, of integrating these technologies together. 
Um, a lot, a lot of times it, it's, it's dependent on organizational boundaries that, that could exist in those customers. Um, but, but there are certainly some customers that recognize both the operational and CapEx savings that they can achieve with such a network. And they are pushing us to, uh, to deliver these capabilities as quick as we possibly can. Um, one, one, um, thing that, that I, that, that we've been pushing on very, uh, aggressively is, is the fact that this, this capability is not, um, a single vendor capability. Um, there's going to be multiple suppliers that have the optics, the, the, the coherent DWDM optics capabilities and multiple routing vendors that have, um, you know, these, these 400 gig class routers. And so from that perspective, you know, we feel that another benefit of IP over DWDM now rather than before is that it's not proprietary, that you can, you can get a multi-vendor environment and still take advantage of, of these, uh, these capabilities. Hmm. And, and this trend, do you think it, it's, uh, is becoming a war between uh, router companies and the optical transport companies eventually? I don't, I don't think so because I, I think if, if, if we can solve as an industry, all of the challenges of integrating these technologies together, you know, and, and those, those come in, in, in terms of hardware, but they also come in, in terms of software, uh, multi-vendor capability to, uh, to operate this multi-vendor network I just talked about. If we can solve those collectively as an industry, I think, um, I think, I think there'll be cannibalization of transponders and muxponders with with these DCO technologies, but but that's just an evolution of of the um, of the network. And I think any most optical vendors will likely invest in having a, a DCO offering so that they can also enable these types of uh, architectures. Well, thanks you guys for joining us. Thank you, John. Yeah, thank you. And we'd like to thank our audience for listening. You have been listening to the Neophotonics Podcast, your source for insight and best practices for optical communications, lasers, and their applications. If you have feedback, a comment, or a question for one of our experts to answer on the podcast, you can write to us at podcast at neophotonics.com or call 408-904-2401. Thank you. Thank you.